We are doing a whole year on spiritual growth. How are we going to manage to spend a whole year on one topic? Does a year-long series sound like an absolute nightmare to you? Fear not. We are breaking it up into three parts. We're going to talk about spiritual maturity and the inward journey. This pertains to your identity in God and becoming more like Him. The upward journey, which pertains to knowing God. And the outward journey, which is how do we relate to these other human beings that God made? Well, we are in the inward journey for four months. Does a four-month series sound like an absolute nightmare to you? Well, fear not. We are breaking up into mini-series inside the mini-series inside the year-long series. So last month, we talked through the book Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen, who liked that series. That was one of my favorites that I've ever done. I loved it. And then this month, pausing next week, because we have Pastor Mitko coming from Bulgaria, and he's going to drop some knowledge on us and bring us the heavenly wisdoms. It will be awesome. And he talks just like that, so feel free to come. Oh, spoon church. Oh, the sweetness of the Lord. It's going to be like that. So if that's, I'm getting head shakes from people that are like, no, because it's too real, is it not? It's too real. Yes, it is. Thank you. I've been practicing that for like seven years. Aside from Mitko next week, we are talking through 1 Corinthians 6.11. We're going to have a month-long series on one verse because Paul says three very important things in this one verse, 1 Corinthians 6.11. And tonight's series, or sermon, is called Washed. Anthony, what in the world are you talking about? I know, I'm, my mom's giving me the big hand motions. Let me set it up for you. Let's talk about the Corinthian church. These people are notorious because they didn't mess up small. You read a book like Thessalonians, and it's hard to pick out anything that the Thessalonians did wrong. I, I call them the good job Thessalonians. It's like there's no huge issues. They're not on the brink of a church split. But the Corinthians, man, Paul had his hands full. And without spending too much on the intro, I don't want to preach this message. I want to preach on what it means to be washed. Let me set the scene for you. These people had a worldview that was influenced by their Greek culture, which said spiritual things are good. We want to be spiritual. We like spiritual things. We don't pay attention to physical things or physical things are bad or physical things don't matter, okay? They lived inside this system where they thought there was a separation and either you ignored physical things or you were super aesthetic, I think is the, is the term, forgive me if I use the wrong word, and you denied yourself physical pleasures, you know? Like you just, you fasted a lot, or, you know, you kind of really made your body submit to you or they just did whatever they wanted physically because, hey, who cares anyway? This body doesn't mean anything. Spiritual things are the only thing that matter. Well, this created a nightmare in the church. First of all, in regard to spiritual gifts, they were crazy off the rails. I mean, their services were chaos because they all wanted to speak in tongues at the same time. They all wanted to prophesy at the same time. Anybody heard this preached on? And it relates to this worldview they had where they were chasing down spiritual things because that was the only good. And Paul says, whoa, bring it back a notch, guys. We need to rein this in. And then physically, you had part of the church that said, don't even get married, having sex is bad. And Paul says, no, no, guys, look, marriage is good. And then you had these other people in the church that were like, have sex with whoever you want, doesn't even matter. <laughs> Prostitutes, incest, go ahead and go for it. Hey, because it's just physical stuff and it, it doesn't matter. And Paul says, no, you guys are way off the rails in the other direction. Can you bring it over here, please? And then you had people suing each other. On top of all that, 
they're cheats and liars, and there's, oh, it's just a nightmare. So how did Paul organize this letter? I don't know how he decided what to address first, okay? But we are going to focus on one verse. I have to remember to breathe. So what happens is I get excited. And I realized this at Nichols last Sunday, that when I put up a big long scripture like I'm about to read, it's a three-slide scripture. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. I, I very nearly die right on stage because I think I can't breathe. I've got to keep reading because this is a big slide. So I'm prepping myself right now. I'm breathing. I'm going to live. If I pass out, it's not spiritual. It's a mistake. <laughs> Here we go. You guys ready? This is setting the scene for us. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? That's a rhetorical question. That's exactly what they're doing. The church is suing each other rampantly. In this culture, they use litigation as a kind of entertainment, much like we do. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me pause here. That is one word in the Greek that's a noun. It's a type of person. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's going to list some unrighteous people. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, that actually translates two separate words there, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's our verse. And such were some of you. And the hammer falls. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of our God. Today we're talking about washed. Paul just dropped a bomb on these guys. You're defeated already. Why are you acting this way? You should rather be wronged. You're acting like this class of people that's not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know, guys, like the type of people all of you used to be. But you were washed, sanctified, and justified. Now, it's almost too easy. Why do you wash something? It's dirty, right? We're going to talk about what this means in context, how we're dirty, exactly how we're polluted or corrupted, to use biblical language. But I want to point out that there are some bad guys. We're taking the inward journey, right? There are some bad guys that are going to oppose your journey. And you may remember them from the intro. It's our buddies. <laughs> your sinful self, also called the flesh in the Bible, the devil in the world, here depicted 
by the notorious Saiyan warriors Nappa, Vegeta, and Raditz, who you no doubt all know from watching Dragon Ball Z, as I did. All these guys want you to be dirty and polluted. They don't want you to wash, and all of them contribute to the reason that we need to be washed. But let's talk about the world first, okay? We live in a dirty world. Jesus cleans up the influence of our dirty world. This is one thing we need to be washed from. James 1.27, in one of the best verses in the Bible, I think, says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's, it's even more than visiting widows and orphans. This world wants to pollute you in a million ways. It wants to contaminate your spirit and your mind and your soul. And your job, one of your primary duties is to keep yourself unstained from the world. What does that look like? A lot of things. That's not the message today. But the point is, there's a lot out there that wants to contaminate you. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And we need to have our eyes open. Remember what the Desert Fathers said. It's like a shipwreck. You have to swim for safety. You cannot just accept society for what it is. You need to recognize that it's a shipwreck and get safe. Don't allow yourself to be polluted by the dirty world. But that's not all that pollutes us. Our own behaviors pollute us. Jesus cleans up the dirt and the pollution of our sin. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you were washed, not just from this world you live in, but also from what you used to do. Let's check out this verse. Ezekiel has a great way of putting things. Does anybody in here besides Justin, and he's laughing, but he knows it's true, actually enjoy reading Ezekiel? Anybody? Leonard Duke. I should have known, and they're next to each other, of course. That's beautiful. Check this out, Ezekiel 20, 42 to 43. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. This verse is actually inside a prophecy where God is telling Ezekiel, tell him I'm going to come through for him. Tell him I'm going to give him the land. Tell him everything's going to be fine. And tell him when I actually do that, they are going to feel like massive schmucks for all the crap that they've been doing. They're going to understand just how polluted they are when I'm good to them. Ouch. But what we do can pollute us. And we need to be washed from that. Amen. But, you know, this washing that Paul's talking about can't be just changing behavior. It can't be just not doing what we used to do. It goes deeper than that. And let me use some fun slides to illustrate. What do we have here? That is a really dirty truck. Now, it's covered in mud from hubcaps to the roof, and I think it's a Ford F-150. I can't quite tell it's so dirty. There's straw all over it. It's probably a work truck. Can we agree that that's a farm truck? Absolutely. And is it muddy? Man, it's dirty. It is crazy dirty. You know, well, here, what do we have here? This is, a, this is the happiest car I've ever seen, actually. That is a dirty Jeep Wrangler. Man, oh man, that thing is dirty. So, yeah, they're just covered. They need to be washed. But if you wash a truck, what is it? It's a clean truck. If you wash a Jeep, what is it? Yeah, well, where do work trucks and jacked up Jeep Wranglers with mud tires belong? 
in the mud and in the dirt. No, no, that's interesting. So if I wash them up, they're just going to go back and get muddy and dirty again because that's what they are. It's kind of what they're for. They're built for it. Just hold that in your mind. We need to be washed from our dirty identities. Dirty identities. Now, if you've been thinking about our three saying bad guys from the beginning, the world is the world, right? And our behaviors pretty much pertain to our sinful nature. But the devil has a hand in both, forming our identities and forming our behavior. The Bible actually teaches that the devil doesn't make you sin. He just tempts you based on what's already in your heart. See, the thing is, the Corinthians did what they did because of who and what they were. Those things in Paul's list, drunk, thief, swindler, they're all nouns and they're all identity words. You are what you do. Paul doesn't say people who occasionally steal. He could have said that. We could say that. But we don't say that, do we? We say, you are a thief. You want to identify yourself with what you do. We all do this. And not just with bad things. We do it with good things. When somebody's like, hey, who are you? Frequently, we answer with our job. Or the thing that defines us the most. I am a musician. I am an accountant. Chris, have you ever called yourself Chris Chuck? You ever say, I'm an accountant? No? Okay, well, you don't count. Yes, you have. Don't give me that crap. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm losing. I'm losing this analogy already. Oh, he's supposed to be one of my guys. I've got to get some audience plants in here. <laughs> Not really. But don't we do this with what we're proud of? And we don't say, I am a person who does accounting. We don't say, I am a person who pastors. I say, I'm a pastor. I want to be associated with what I do. We're ingrained to think this way. I'm going to share a quote from Henry David Thoreau that I just, I just stumbled on it, really. And I love it, and I've used it before, but it's been about a year and a half. So I'm going to use it again. Another big quote. Hold on. Okay, that's so I don't pass out. We're moving on. This is kind of a long one, but follow me. The artist and his work are not to be separated. The most willfully foolish man cannot stand aloof from his folly. But the deed and the doer together make ever one sober fact. The buffoon may not bribe you to laugh always at his grimaces. They shall sculpture themselves in Egyptian granite and stand heavy as the pyramids on the ground of his character. The fool is a fool because his folly is his identity. What the artist produces reflects who he is. He cannot separate from it. You are what you do. And if you want a contemporary example, who can argue with this guy? <laughs> and I'm going to try to do my best Batman. You guys ready? Yeah. It's not who I am underneath. It's what I do that defines me. And I think that picture is from that exact scene. Thank you very much. Can you do better? Give me a good Batman, Chris. It's not. I can't do it. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. I can't do it in Okay, that's We'll work on it. But don't take Batman's word for it, guys. I mean, we have some other heavy hitters here. Some other heavy hitters that totally agree. You are what you do. Unless... There's one way to change it. Are you ready for how not to be defined? The ultimate washing that Paul is talking about? The answer is baptism. 
How weird is that? Look, I, I read a lot of commentaries and stuff, and they all said, yeah, obviously. I mean, they spent three sentences on this. They said, Paul's obviously trying to remind them of their baptism. All this washed language. And I thought, that's crazy. And then I looked into it, and yeah, they're right. It is about baptism. <laughs> Look at what baptism accomplishes. Let's talk about this for a minute. Washed is meant to make the Corinthians think of their baptism. Acts twenty two sixteen. Paul is telling his testimony to a crowd, and he says that the guy who restored his sight after he was blinded by God basically said, don't waste any more time. Why are you waiting? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. His there is Jesus. Wow, so there is this equation of baptism and washing away your sins. But before we think baptism actually has magical properties, which I personally don't believe it does, we need to read some more verses. It's not the act of baptism that saves, but it's the cry of the heart of the baptized. 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, Peter just talked about the flood. Let me back up and give you context. He's talking about how the world was so corrupt it needed to be cleansed. God sent this massive flood and only eight were saved on the ark. And Peter says baptism corresponds to this. It now, it now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow, it saves you by the appeal of your conscience. And that word appeal can mean demand, earnestly seeking, or craving. It means you want it more than anything else in the world. Think of people getting baptized and don't think of like the, okay, who's seen the Chokeslam baptism video? Where the guy's like, oh, I know Grant has. Most people are serious about getting baptized, okay? It's serious. Don't think of this like, oh, nobody really cares. You're dunked and you're up. And okay, raise and newness of life. You have to want it. Baptism reflects a heart cry that says, I can't be who I've been anymore. I need this. I need to be cleansed. I need to have a good conscience before God. I crave it. I desire it. Lord, I'm borderline demanding it. I have to have it. That's serious. Let's look at another verse. The outward washing is a sign of inward purification. Hebrews 10.22. We'll let Matt Barney and Chris Flaw handle that. I pity the fool. Don't know what's going on out there. Lord bless him. Hashtag urban ministry. Hashtag by neighborhood. All right. Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Oh, this is talking about the same thing. And our bodies washed with pure water. There's this deep washing that baptism symbolizes. It's the washing that happens in salvation. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, when your heart craves it more than anything else, when you realize the identity you've had and exactly what the schmuck you've been when confronted with God's goodness and you think, I can't be that anymore. I need this. I need a clean conscience. You are washed. You are sprinkled clean. You are cleansed. And for the sake of the recording, that's schmuck. S-C-H-M-U-C-K. Just in case that's not clear. I hate to get Pastor Cameron thinking I'm saying something else. <laughs> Baptism equals death. Death. In a very strange twist, this is how we get free. This is how we get new. This is Paul talking about it in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him in baptism into death. But that's not the end of the story. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the crux of what Paul is talking about. The old identity is gone. It died. Symbolically in baptism, it literally passed away. And when you came out, that symbolizes you being completely new. Guys, if you wash this thing, it's going to still be a truck. If you superficially wash it and get all the mud and the dirt off, it's still going to be a vehicle that's built to get dirty. Just like your old identity. You can reform behavior and the identity isn't changed. You're still defined by what you did. This is still going to be a Jeep. It's still going to be the number one off-roading vehicle probably in the world. It's going to get dirty. But our washing means newness. Newness. Titus 3, 4, and 5. I know there's a lot of Bible. Hang with me. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the same thing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Washing of regeneration, renewal, the old thing dying, the new thing coming. If you've experienced this, this is no small deal. If you've looked back on a past and a person that you've been and you've just had shame and guilt and yuck rise up in your heart, and you can point to a moment where you rely on God's faithfulness and say, no, that doesn't cross this line. That day I was baptized, that day that I symbolized that washing, it can't follow me here, ever. It's gone. It's literally dead. And a new thing has come, and that's me. It's like Jesus washed the truck. He washed you when you were a filthy, dirty Jeep, meant to be a filthy, dirty Jeep, and this came out. Now, that thing does not belong in the dirt. A speck of dirt on that Z06 would be a crime. I'm at the gym. There's a guy that works out in the morning who has a brand new Z06 in blue. Wow. I was coming around the parking lot there to go to Consumers Energy, and I stopped my car. It was like I hit something, and I just stared at it. And I thought, wow, that right there is why people are car people. Like, I'm not a car person, but I was just literally in awe. That's better than a dirty old truck if you're not trying to be dirty. Jesus gives us a new identity. Something completely new in place of the old dirty thing. So let's recap what washed means in this verse. It means you are not polluted by the world you live in. Let it be what it is. Hey man, they're going to do what they're going to do. But that grossness and that dirt and that mud is not yours. It's just not yours. A lot of us live and work in environments that are not as, let's say, uplifting and clean and pure as we like. You just don't have to own that stuff. It doesn't pollute you. You're washed. You are not still dirty from your past. It cannot follow you past this kind of washing. Even if that, oh, I found a terrible picture looking for that slide of a Corvette crashed in a soybean, soybean field. 
<laughs> but you know, it crashed into a soybean field, but you know what didn't happen? Shockingly, it didn't turn into an F-150 and drive out. It was a stuck Corvette. And when they pulled it out and washed it, it was still a Corvette. That past identity cannot follow you. Cannot follow you. The old identity that was defined by what you did is dead. You have a new identity that is defined by what Jesus Christ did for you. We must believe this. Because our sinful self will tell us it's not true. The devil will tell you this is not true. And the world will tell you you're dirty and it's not true. You have to hold on. So we actually are forced to disagree with someone here. We're forced to disagree with our buddy, Batman. It's not who I am underneath. It's what I do that defines me. Well, you know, if Batman got radically saved, you might say something like this. Actually, no, hold on. It's who I am underneath because of what he's done that defines me. And I do the good things I do because of who I am underneath because of what he's done. Yeah, that sounds better. Quote, redeemed Batman. <laughs> I don't think I can do all that in a Batman voice. I've had kind of a scratchy throat. You want me to try it? Seriously? Oh, no. <laughs> not Mitko? Okay. It's not what I do. It's not who I am underneath. It's what I do that defines me. Actually, no. Hold on. It's who I am underneath because of what he's done that defines me. And I do the morally ambiguous good things I do because of who I am underneath. Because of what he's done. Yeah, that's better. Offerings in the Dropbox, right there under the clock. <laughs> We're gonna close. Two thoughts. You guys ready? Yeah. Live up to your new identity. Amen. Okay. Yes. Look, there's plenty of verses in the Bible. This is a whole other sermon. I'm not gonna preach right now, but look it up. They teach and warn us to live up to this identity, worthy of the life that we now have. Okay. We all need to hear this. That's a challenge for you. But here's the other one that all of us need to hear as well. When we fail, wash, rinse, repeat. 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And here's one from Lamentations 3, verses 22 to 23, when everything was heading south. God still wanted him to know this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day morning. You are washed. Your identity is new. Live up to it. And if you get stuck in a soybean field, don't forget you're still a Corvette. Wash, rinse, repeat. We can do this, guys. Let's stand and pray.